Hey everyone, hope you are great in this crazy COVID-19 times that we live in. Um, Just a couple of quick messages before we start the podcast. If you like what we're doing on this show and like the messages that we're putting out there, um, we would love it and really appreciate it if you could jump down and do us a small favor and leave us a quick five-star review and some kind words. Five stars if you think we're good, of course. But if you don't think we're good, don't even bother going down there. We don't want you. No, just joking. Um, We love you too. Keep listening. Uh, but what it actually does if you leave that review for us and, and give us some stars is it helps us to push up the ranks through the podcasting services, iTunes, etc. Um, and get exposure to more people inevitably helping us to get the message out there and help as many people as we can um, because we get more exposure. So that would be awesome if you could help us out with that. Um, we also run a treatment program for anyone struggling with addictive patterns called connection-based living. Now, just quickly, um, this is actually a really different way of coming at addiction treatment um, and is basically my life's work over smashing my life to bits through addiction and also you know, running some of the biggest treatment centers in Australia um, and working in the addiction treatment space. Um, for many, many years now, uh, we've put together a program that actually helps people to get long-term results because there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't. Um, it is really different because, uh, yeah, we do help people to get recovery without going to rehab. Um, and, you know, we use uh, biohacking and lots of different stuff to help you not only deal with the psychological and emotional side of addiction, but actually reset and fix your biochemistry as well, which is incredibly important for long-term results. So if that sounds of interest to you, head to our um, website, www.connectionbasedliving.com.au um, and we do a number of things where you can book in a free recovery strategy consultation with us um, and we'll go through and create an exact plan for you to get some results in your life with recovery um, and also tell you a little bit about the program as well. So um, if that's of interest to you, that's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au um, and let's jump into the show. back everybody to another episode of Real Drug Talk Um, and look we're still in this crazy COVID environment Um, now my guest today is actually back in Canberra Um, but I'm in Melbourne and we're still in um, stage four lockdown so um, we're still on the Zoom um, and we're just doing the best that we can with the Zoom universe Um, so if there's any glitches or anything like that, apologies. But again, we're just doing the best that we can. But anyway, today um, we've got Dave Oliver with us on the show, which I'm excited about because I've been following Dave's journey a little bit. Um, and yeah, he's done some awesome stuff. And I've sort of seen him talk about recovery and um, you know addiction and different stuff like that. And it's a great story. So 
Um, how you going, mate? Good, mate. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Pretty good. Um, so we were talking, we were talking off air. Do you want to just like, just tell us what's the last kind of, what's the past few, few months been like for you? What's been going on? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's been, um, well, for me was, was second run of, of going through acute care or rehab or whatever the stereotypical stigmatized (laughs) term is for getting some facility work done that uh, you and I know, but yeah, look, I'm, I'm, do you mind me mentioning facility names? No, no, go for it. No, Jack, you have to Yeah, great. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so I, I, um, I, my second att- my second run through South Pacific Private in yep. Sydney, Coral Coral Beach, and um, I'm about week seven now back out in um, in 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 my aftercare plan, um, I suppose what we call it. So. Um, I'm 39 years old. I, um, my, my look, you know, to give you the quick, the quick sort of 45 second synopsis, um, survivor of significant childhood trauma. Um, I, um, also have had to be, uh, I was a very late bloomer with coming to terms with my sexuality, um, heavily involved in hypermasculine, hyperheterosexual sport of rugby union for a long time, born into that sport, um, in my life and really only came out of the closet, um, a bit of a transitional phase there with a few people knew there was question asked sort of late twenties, early thirties, but really, really only until about 30, 32, 33, um, wow. where I sort of sat down with my, sat down, called my family and told my family that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, really own the fact that I'm, I'm gay and, um, yep. and to tell them. So that, that was that experience. Um, that, that, um, you know, was a, unfortunately was also a crescendo period for my substance abuse situation. Yep. So I'd, been a heavy uh, sort of started drinking at the age of 15 um you know it was the, the, the bit of a legend um around <laughs> the ranks at that age i was the first kid that could scull a jug i was the first kid that could polish off a six pack and half a bottle yeah. of rum and you know throw up all over myself so that 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 i didn't realize back then but i really think that that was probably the start of my wow um this sexual attraction to other boys then i suppose and men is not healthy yeah um I'd gone away. I'd grown up in the country where obviously it just sort of wasn't accepted. Um, um, not that I have a, 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 I have a beautiful loving family and not that it was a, it was a homophobic household. It was a 1980s, early nineties, Aussie, uh, you know, fairly working class sort of house. I was very lucky to go away to private school in Sydney and that was an all voice school. So that sort of confusion and you know, the, the number one, sort of word for any sort of derogatory or any sort of negative thing was happening in life in a boarding school was your poof to your faggot, you know, that sort of thing. So that didn't help. Um, Pretty good rugby player, you know, sort of a a good schoolboy rugby player, half decent, younger under 21s Colts player. And then grog and, and substance has caught up to me and sort of ruined my senior rugby career. Is Colts Colts like the representative sort of team as a junior or mid junior? It can be. Yeah, it can be in a program, but it's sort of generally referred to as that under 21, under 20s market, but you can also have a representative Colts team. So I played my rugby was at Eastern Suburbs Rugby Club in Sydney, good premiership club, never played any first, first grade premiership rugby. That that, my career was sort of, sort of my trajectory trajectory was that I was going to play some first grade at some stage. That's how I was tracking, but found myself early twenties outside of Colts, drinking a lot, socializing a lot over summer, (laughs) Uh, um, you know, party drug scene in Sydney, cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA. Um, And then things got really bad. Those early thirties around the time when I came out, I was back in my hometown. I had 
had a lease. Hospitality was my career. Had a lease on a pub and was exposed to methamphetamine. Yep. And that's when coping met, um, for one of I suppose a term out there that chemsex um, yep. in 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 the in the in the gay world. Um, coming to terms with my sexuality, small town. It was this perfect storm, this vortex of meth just was like what I needed. It found me, I think, in a way. I don't know, that sound, might sound really crazy to some people out there that are suffering or supported people through substance abuse, but that drug, I found it or it found me and it, it got a hold of me for about 18 months. Um, basically had to wind up the pub lease, um, you know, lost the pub, lost that journey, lost that dream uh, and ended up at South Pacific for the first time. Wow. Um, and how, um, how old were you then? So that would have been 34. Four thirty-five. Yeah. Yep. Um, Twenty-one days. Fantastic uh, program. Um, mm. A lot of people I know that have been in this world sort of think twenty-one days like meth, like really. And I think that was probably why I've ended up having to go in a second time. Yeah. I don't think I was really ready for the message the first time. I was ready for the handbrake to come on. I was ready to stop. I was ready for a particular part of that journey to start. Yeah. But um, I, I wasn't true to certainly what South Pacific pushed to be the major recovery process. They really hitched their, their cart to abstinence, 12 steps. Yeah. Um, so my aftercare plan was fairly non-existent. Um, I thought that I could develop my own aftercare plan, which I'm, I'm proud of, of having a crack at this time around. I'll be interested to, to sort of share um, notes with you as the conversation develops, but I just thought I'd get back up on the horse of life. You know, I'll, I'll be that this legend that I was growing this public and this, rugby guy now this gay rugby guy i had this sort of where my self-esteem and um was so low suffering from so much toxic shame about my sexuality and being a, a methamphetamine user yeah um i developed this persona of being this dude in recovery i started a thing called recovery now i think that might have been something that you saw it was all about people sharing exactly what you're doing here i wanted to be this it became my persona it became my my thing, I was like, okay, well, if I can't be Dave the publican, if I can't be Dave the really good rugby player, I'm going to be Dave this sort of gay rugby dude that's in recovery. So, but I wasn't even doing that well, um, unfortunately. So, <laughs> uh, so it was it, it, it was a weird period, mate. And 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 uh, I found myself in Canberra. COVID hit. Hospitality shut down again. I knew I was in a bad way. Things weren't going well for me. And the second time around, what was a 21 day program, I signed myself up for the full five weeks, and I've had an amazing experience. Absolutely amazing experience. Um, I'm, 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 I've had to deep dig really deep into my toolbox these last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, early recovery again, and I'm really proud of. It hasn't been perfect. Mm. Um, there's still some issues there, but I'm really, really proud of how things are going at the moment. Really proud, really excited about this next phase. Awesome, mate. Well, look, um, and this is why I was. I tried not to say it at the start because I open every podcast with like, I'm excited to talk to the guests because I, I generally am. So I'm trying to come out from a new angle. But the reason sure. why I was excited to talk to you was because, yeah, just having seen like little bits and bobs of your story and there's some really interesting stuff in there um, that I'd love to hear you speak to. So tell us about the, I guess it's something that we actually get a lot of feedback on is drugs and alcohol within, yeah, the, the gay community or the, um, I, I don't want to butcher it with the letter combination, but the, mm. yeah, the, the yep. gay, queer, um, um, 
LGBTQI yep. community. Sure, um, sure, yeah. And and um, sex. So that's that's such a big thing at the moment. Like, what's how does that play out for people, or how did it play out for you? Mate, look, I, I'm 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 happy to report that I'm in a good place. I, that my very close friends are very much um, in my world now. So, um, mm. and this has been, you know, even only in the last 48 hours, the leap forward that I've had with my mother and my father um, has been like life changing. And even some of my closest, nearest, and dearest at the moment, this understanding that they now have about what I've been facing and. Mm. Um, I suppose if, if, look, to talk about my, where it all links together, um, I suppose to answer the first party question, I'm not part of the scene as so it's seen. And I hate, again, I hate, I love, I love my gay mates. I spent lots of time in Sydney. I love whatever the scene is. And I'm sure they're probably sick and tired of people saying it's a scene. It's um, those inclusive venues around Oxford street, those amazing, wonderful um, um stalwarts who have led the way to starting Mardi Gras and, and those sorts of things. I drove the, 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 the truck for the, the, the Canberra guys yeah. two years ago. Um, was very proud of that. I, I didn't jump on the back on the float, but I drove the ute. So I've done Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I, look, I, um, my, 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 my childhood trauma was, um, I was a, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse from someone outside of my family um, from about, from the age, ages of nine to 11 um that situation was 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 very dark um i was in an intoxicated state so my first sexual experiences were dangerous dark secretive intoxicated um and from what i learned now when i'm talking to other survivors um who are who are who have been through similar experiences i know for me that um, joining the dots to the way my sex life has played out through my teens, through my early adulthood, through the advent of well, the introduction of chat rooms online through the internet. Yeah. Uh, and now eventually what is, has been a chronic issue for me has, is the online, is the grinder, the app. Yeah. Um, and I'm absolutely happy. I have no, no, no shame at all trying to tear that app apart. It is a majority of the time. It's not a healthy space at all. Um, and I'm sorry if there's any, I'm, I, there's, Full disclaimer for you, Jack. This is my opinion and my opinion only. I'm, it's uh, it's been a real problem for me. Um, yeah. And to have something so available um, so quick when when and 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 you and those that are in recovery, Jack, will understand when the triggers go off. For some people, it might be oh, I just can't be near the pub and I can deal with those feelings and I'll just go and play tennis and whatever. When you link sex and methamphetamine together. Mm or GHB, um, that trigger goes off. To have something that's sitting in your pocket, um, and we all know what it's like. I mean, we're all humans. We eat, we go to the toilet, we drink water, we have sex. <laughs> you know, when you're hungry, when you're hungry, you go to the fridge, open the door, you might do that th three or four times in a, in a, in a movie sitting. It's yep. the same store, there's cheese and anchovies and there's leftover pizza. You know, and then just, you deal with it, you go and sit down. The moment goes, the hunger leaves. You think, you talk to your mates, you think, I might get a breach later, you sort of move on. You can be by yourself and a trigger can go off, see a good looking guy, have conversations with people about sex. You might have watched a bit of pornography, whatever it is, that trigger goes off. Um, the ability, and there are lots of people on Grindr that are, um, are completely anonymous. They're trying out their sexuality. They're hiding their shame. I think for me, methamphetamine was, was pain on steroids. Um, yeah. You know, 
I'm not ashamed of being a gay man. Um, I'm extremely proud of me and my sexuality. I don't know whether I'm gay or bisexual. It's sort of this sort of whole thing of where you just, you've only really had sex with men, you know, had little, little engagements with women from sort of that 14 to, you know, 20 years old. There was that sort of stuff going on, but, um, and I don't care. I, I, I believe sexuality is a spectrum. Um, I, all my mates support me. It's fine. The world's changing. And I, and I know in the next five or 10 years, it won't be a problem. I have a huge problem with bisexuality with people thinking that it's some sort of transitional, you know, you've got to stick your flag in the ground. You're being a bit yeah. greedy, you know, you know, I, I, I don't know. Decide, how, I, make your mind up. Make your mind up. <laughs> and I think that there are people who are uh, bisexual and, and I certainly, for me, because I'm sexually attracted to masculine men and I've, I've had all the way through my twenties, most of my sexual engagements have been with those guys that have been confused, scared, mm. You know, I've got a wife, I've got a girlfriend, this is wrong, this is dirty, get out of my house. You know, I've had, it, 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 it's, it was been such a painful way for sex to, sex and sexuality to play out for someone. Mm. And if this is resonating with anyone right now out there, I feel you, I just want you to know that, you know, there is a way out of this. Um, absolutely, there's a way out of this. And um, it's, it's, it may seem that it's sex and drugs and that's it. And, and, and I certainly was so worried for so long and so ashamed. The conversation I've had recently with my mother and my father about this um, and the support and the love and the tears and the hugging and the, for people, you know, and both my sisters yep. as well to go, we're in your world now. We get it. We finally get it. And it's not because I want to play the victim. I'm not firing up that triangle. I'm not looking for it's it, it's it is my reality. Um, and some of my closest friends get it now. And they, I'm now putting things in place where I'm like, look, I'm not feeling comfortable. I don't. I can't be in a hotel room by myself. I can't be by myself in this place that I've moved into. I need you to check in on me. I've I've bought kits for uh, methamphetamine test kits by my own. I'm giving them to, yeah. you know, I'm 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 going to take to this thing with a really really big hammer for the next six to twelve months. Um, but I'm also working on the other things that, you know, this important thing about recovery, mindfulness, meditation, um, self-love, self-care, acceptance and commitment therapy, all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm hoping with a big dose of all of those two things, um, what I wasn't doing last time in recovery now, that, that that's going to make a big difference. And I must say, happy to plug it. I've only had a quick treetop looking at it. The stuff that you're doing, Jack, looks brilliant because, yeah. and yeah. that's the point that I was making, wanted to make before about 12 steps in abstinence. It's the only problem I have with South Pacific Private. Um, and I'm sorry, guys, if there's anyone from that facility watching, but it, it is, they drop, they hammer home abstinence in 12 steps. Recovery is a different journey for everyone, you know, and I understand in a facility like that, they've got to do the best that they can to try and push people down in a line that they know works for most people. Mm. But I, I, the thought of sitting at the back of your body church with, a room full of people with their arms crossed, staring at their feet, talking about, um, you know, that their journey every single night of the week or 90 meetings in 90 days. It's not for me, but it is for lots of people and it is proven to have worked for lots of people. So anyone out there that's in NA or AA or CMA or whatever, good on you. And those people that are sponsors and those people that do service, you are amazing and you are changing people's lives every day. But I know that, 12 steps is just not for me you know this doing this having a counselor that i speak to every week meeting with you know understanding and, and resonating with other survivors of childhood sexual abuse meeting other gay men and talking about that experience about how we've had to suffer mm. through this um this way that our sexuality has had to develop in a really dark and dangerous way that's my recovery you know yeah. um 
And I, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in that facility that they don't, in the time that they've got you in there, they don't spend more time looking at, oh, let's have a look at smart recovery. Let's have a look at what Jack's doing in Melbourne. Let's have a look at those sorts of things. But that's okay. That's, that's, that's them. That's cool. There's so much that I want to talk to you about and, and we can talk a little bit more about that because um, it, is, it is interesting. So um, it sounds like from what you're saying that the early trauma um, that you experienced has just had such a massive impact on the rest of the way that your life has played out and I guess your sexual experience and how that ties all into drugs. Would that be sort of fair? Um, like everybody, everybody knows like whether you're gay, straight, whatever, that, you know, GHB and, and meth makes for better sex and a lot of people use it for that. Um, yep. But, yep. but what, what is it that kind of turns it into that powerful cocktail? Because like, you know, when I speak to, um, yeah, like gay people, it's just, it's such a thing in the gay community, yep. sex. Yep. and there'll be people that aren't even, you know, inverted commas, addicts or, or, you know, and, and they just use it here and there to have yep. great yep. sex, but unfortunately get themselves into other risky situations. And it's, and it's, it's almost like this um, kind of problem within itself, really um, forget yeah. about like the addiction stuff, but what is it that just makes it so like powerful? Um, look, it is, it's, 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 for, for, it's a substance that takes you where you want to be really quickly. Uh, when I first was using it, I had, I wasn't, it wasn't firing up any sexual stuff for me. When I first started using it, I was running that pub in Cowra. Um, I didn't have a partner. My mum and dad were supporting me as best they could. I had a great team there in running the pub. We were running a great little pub, but I was starting to get really worn down. And I, I, I had a two-year lease. It was the, about the seventh month into the lease that this one of the someone said um, in, uh, in the place that I was at said, um, I've got a bit of this stuff. Have you tried it before? And I actually snorted it the first time. I thought it was a little bit of speed or coke or something like that. So Is I thought, that painful? No, this is, <laughs> Yeah, this one still hurt. No, uh, <laughs> it, it was. I was like, yeah, and I was, and I was like, what was that? You know, yeah. and 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 there I am. You know, not only cleaning the bar down that night and pulling the kegs out, cleaning the cool room. I thought, this is this, this is a. So when I say it takes you where you want or need to be, methamphetamine. If you want to have sex for five hours with three different men and whatever, and 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 that's mm. that's your thing. Methamphetamine and GHB will tick that box immediately. So it's not like mm. I've got to go to. a pub and snort coke, a bag of coke and sneak into the toilets every 18 minutes and whatever you can sit mm. down and take those two substances and you're on you know yep. so not cool mm. from that perspective you think about you know it's like anything you do that with a dog or a horse or you, you, anything any type of you know feed it yeah any type of throw a ball for someone if you if you want an immediate reaction it doesn't matter what sort of animal you are that's not a cool thing especially when it's linked to the negative outcomes, which can be, like you say, risky behaviour, risky, you know, unsafe sex, all that sort of stuff. Um, so um, I, I think, but for me, it was, it was, it certainly was, you know, I certainly wasn't in a position to have a relationship with anyone. I didn't know how that was going to work. I had such a poor, when at the age of nine, so uh, John Brad Bradshaw's The Shining Light on Toxic Shame and I was uh, healing the toxic shame that binds you, I think is the book that was handed to me in, in South Pacific Private. In those formative years, if you, have, if, you, if you have a thought instilled in your brain at the age of nine or ten that you are inherently wrong, mm. you know, that, that this is not right, but you have an older boy doing things to you and, 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 and 
um, forcing himself on you and, and with him and another boy and things like that. And, and you sort of, you're then convinced that, okay, this has got to be a secret and you hide it from your parents and your two sisters, but you're hearing the homophobic language and stuff like that. It's not, I talk about shame, toxic shame. It's nothing like depression and it's mm. nothing like anxiety. You know, you, you believe to your core that you are wrong, that you are disordered. There's, a, there's then when you start to get old enough to think about girlfriends and wives, there's the existential crisis, mm. which is debilitating. So I was coping with pain mm. uh, and I was having sex. Mm. So these are, you know, these are things that we do. This is a, this is, um, you know, we are, we, we have these instincts. We have to have sex. So I, I, I wanted to have sex. You know, I've had a very active sexual life from the age of nine, for, want of a, you know, for better or worse for worse um and and yeah for me it was it was the only thing i had so cocaine was the first thing that really let me explore my sexuality in sydney and that was i was going to sex on premises venues i was sneaking into nightclubs around oxford street yep. so that darkness that going into a, a dark place and having you know anonymous sex with you know men and stuff like that i needed six beers four rum and cokes and half a bag of coke up my nose to do that mm. um and I think a lot of straight men would say the same thing. That's, that's where I got into trouble having sex with the secretary. That's where I got in trouble, you know, partner swapping, going and trying group sex or whatever that, that mm. was so, so, so that's gay, straight, bi, whatever, you know, lots of substances getting to the age where you want to experiment, you know, move on and those sorts of things. Um, it's happened for lots of people. I've had lots of, yeah, it doesn't matter what, where you are on the sexuality spectrum, mm. but throw meth in the mix and GHB, a whole nother ball game, a whole yeah. nother ball game. And I think once you've experienced it, um, you know, a lot of men are like gay, straight men. There's a lot of straight men that, that uh, that's, that's when they start experimenting with their that's bisexuality right. or homosexuality, you know, and that's, that, that's happening as well. So the shame that comes with that. That's what I was going to say, yeah. They start to understand what I've been coping with from the age of 10, you know. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I've noticed with whether it's, you know, those co-occurring like addictions for a lack of a better word, if that's what you want to call them, or just all the other issues, it all just feeds into this one big shit, shit cycle, like a big washing yes. machine. <laughs> yep. And it just kind of perpetually gets worse and worse and worse because the more you act out on sex, although you might be loving it at the time when you come down and yeah, you feel shame about different things, then you need Absolutely. more drugs to kind of push all that down. Plus the other stuff, then you do Correct. more kind of risky behavior and then you just kind of go on and on and on. So the thing that I want to ask you is, because it's starting to become into the vernacular a lot more, which is a great thing. Um, and there's a lot of people being more open about it, such as yourself. Um, like when we talk about trauma, like, ha you know, and I've heard that this is where South Pacific is very, very, very good. Um, mm. And they do lots of great trauma work, but well, mm. what does that actually involve? You know, um, because for me, this is one of the major pillars that people suffer with when they come into any kind of program. They don't sort of realise the effects that past traumas have had on their life and how they're playing out. But there's this fear about confronting it and how do you work through it and all that sort of stuff. So what's the process actually been to start that journey? It's uh, in South Pacific private. They, their model is the PM Melody model, which is the, oh God, I always forget the, the, the development of the, adult no, the mature adult god anyway it doesn't matter it's, i forget it's, as well don't worry it's the same model that they put in pia put in at the, at the meadows at arizona which is one of the first renowned rehabs in the world um it's all about 
it's all about uh, three stages of, of your development and it's all about the repeat, the reparenting process. Yeah. So they throw a matrix over the top of your personal situation. Um, I explained it to dad, um, we're Australians. Here's the best, easiest sporting analogy. So imagine it's whatever your favorite sport is, even if it's chess, drafts, whatever. Um, you've had a video of that particular performance, that game, that competition. It's a game where you haven't lost, but you haven't quite gone as well as you thought you would. Um, you've got some modern technology now to have a look at the game. You sit down with your father and your mother and you go, dad would go, well, geez, you know, we, we kicked the ball a lot. Um, that, was, that was the plan. Um, because around the time when the game was a bit wet and it was a bit windy, that's what everyone was doing. We're all kicking the ball a lot in the wet and the wind. Um, but we didn't win the game. We didn't go that well. If we have a bit of a look at it now, we probably have gone back. We probably would have passed the ball a bit more and run it a bit more. Um, and I probably wasn't the best person to teach the team how to do that. I probably needed another coach. Yeah. But I, I'm an old forward and I know, kick the ball, chase it up, be hard. We'll play a very direct game and stuff like that. And your mother was sort of of the same ilk and that's what's going on. So what you do now is you have a look at the video and go, well, let's go back and have a look at it together and let's mm. reparent. Let's, let's maybe look at what we might have done in that situation when you were growing up. Let's have a look at, if you'd come to us and told us that the next door neighbour was sexually abusing you, um, you know, we could have probably got a little bit more help. We could have gone and spoke to a doctor. We could have whatever, but we didn't know that. So you, the, the, the model there is all about everything that was going on in your life. Everyone was doing the best that they possibly could to raise me and my two sisters in a small town, selling cars, you know, to put three kids through private school, a loving mother, beautiful extended family, tick, 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 tick. But that doesn't mean there is no perfect family. There is no perfect upbringing. So... And what you've got to realise as well, and what I've read in one of the books recently, is that just because you're a parent doesn't mean your world doesn't stop. <laughs> you know, you know, you're still in your thirties, fellows. You've still got your needs and wants. You've, it's not just like right, 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 my my world stops, and now it's just mm. David and his two sisters, and you still have sexual things that are going on for you. You've still got food that you want to eat. You've still got travel that you want to do. So. Not only are we, are we dealing with this thing that everyone's doing the best thing for the kids, it's like, I still want to do the best thing for me as well. And that's not a selfish thing. You're still your own human. We're all our own beings as well. So you've got this mix of, so when, when I sit down now and talk to my parents and I have these amazing conversations with my father, what was actually going on for, when you're still coaching first grade, when you were selling heaps of cars, when you were running 20 staff, you know, yeah, I was a big part of your life, but what was happening in your life at that time as well when you were a dad? Um, so that's a big makeup of me needing to now reparent. So my counselling and my, if I go to some group therapy or if I do some research, it's like, let's have a look at what it's like to be a traumatised child. Let's re-traumatise that. So I went into the Changes program, which is the intense trauma program, week two of the first time I did South Pacific, yep. um, which is a guided psychotherapy, really intense. And that's the first time I really came in touch with little David John. That's my middle name, David John. So... I, we got to do a guided, um, it was almost like hypnotherapy meditation. We went down and we got to, I got to reconnect with David John um, around about the time we had, there was a scene in the backyard of my street in that town. Uh, there I was kicking a soccer ball around, I had my socks pulled up. I, the the visualisation was amazing. I got to come down into a scene. I got to put my hand on little David John's shoulder. He turned around. I got to talk to him. We talked about the trauma. I got to tell him that I loved him and I knew what was going on. I got to pick him up and he shrunk and I got to put him in my heart. Yeah. So it's this amazing, amazing process. Um, and I get to every now and then when I'm, you know, coping with things, wherever I get to put my hand on my heart and I know that that's where the nine year old traumatized, sexually abused version of me is. He's inside and he's safe and we can heal together. 
you know, and that's been a yep. big part of, of my journey. So that's, that's for me was my journey through dealing with trauma in South Pacific. And yes, they are fantastic. And yes, they are the trauma specialists in Australia, without a doubt, without yep. a doubt. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. And is it something that you have to kind of work on ongoing the trauma stuff or? It is. I mean, it's, it's, you're constantly, I think with anything, with any, with any, with any cycle that fires up that you know, that is um, because trauma that they identify as anything that's a less than nurturing experience, basically. So anything that's happening in my life that I know that can be linked back to a less nurturing experience. And that's, that's, I was born into a heavy toxic and I'll say it, Drinking culture at that rugby club. Again, mm. my parents were doing the best they could. That rugby club ran that town, you know, mm. for, 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 for me and my, my family friends. I saw the promiscuity of um, men chasing women. I saw the, um, the, the ringing of the bell, the sculling of the drinks, the boat racing, the yeah. drinks in the shower, the men, the blokes, the way that they treated women. I, I saw everything was that. So that is a less than nurturing experience, 100%. The majority of that experience, not good. Kids should not be thrown into rugby clubs at the age of five. But that's what was going on. It was the 80s. It was fine. So that's where I need to reparent myself. Going and getting pissed every single week at the rugby, coaching, getting six cans in my guts at first grade, getting down to the thing, doing that, going that cycle, drinking, you know, then the cocaine thing fires up. Then you're at someone's house. Then you're at the after party till 3 a.m. I need to look at that situation now and go, what's going on for me in that cycle? What, what what that's not healthy you know that's not life that's not i have i now get involved in sport i have and, and because i've been so vulnerable and as we know from brene brown vulnerability drives connection i have so many men now that come into my life and women and i get this beautiful i'd love to go for a cup of coffee with you i'd love to sit down and have a glass of red with you and i have these amazing only last saturday night i'm there with a 21 year old bloke early 20s bloke from the rugby club he was just like, mate, we'd love to have a couple of drinks with you. And we just sat there and just spoke about life. And it was beautiful. And normally I would never have done that. I would have been, let's get more drinks, let's get more drinks, let's get the moose heads, let's yeah. get this open at the moment. But it would never have been, let's sit here till close. It was midnight, it was close to the place. And we just had a couple more drinks um, and, and really enjoyed each other's company. And he had lots of questions to ask me about stuff that he wanted to find out about. And that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I'd much rather be doing that than what I used to do. Yeah. So interesting. So interesting. So that, that's probably a good transition um, with what you were talking about before in terms of like what recovery actually is and, and the process and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that was the, was that last weekend? That you had that was last couple, weekend? Yeah. So, yes, and, yep. and when you say you had a couple of drinks, like alcoholic drinks? Yes. Yep. Yep. So, that, so that's yep. really interesting. So your, your, um, and, it's not that much of a shock to me, <laughs> but to some people listening, they probably go, yep. what the fuck? You know, he's just out of rehab or, or whatever. So, and, and how long, yep. seven weeks you said. So did you have like a insatiable urge to, you know, drink more beers or, or whatever it was that you were drinking and, and kind of no. go out and get on meth and all that stuff? No, no. Everyone around me knows, uh, and this this is where I'm at. I'm I'm in such a powerful position, and that's why I worry about abstinence and I worry about tall, tall steps. Because when you start telling adults no, you can't and you shouldn't, and go to 90 meetings in 90 days and do this, some people end up at the end of 60 days and they end up chronically relapsing because mm-hmm. they can't do it. Alcohol, alcohol is a is a is a for me. I have I have a very healthy relationship, the most healthy relationship I've had for a long time with alcohol. The issue with alcohol is the lowering of inhibitions. Mm. 
Um, it, I, I, I rarely, I rarely, rarely, rarely engage in any sort of heavy intoxicating drinking as constantly as I used to. I absolutely enjoy the experience of a bottle of red, the conversation over the grapes, the wine, where it's from, and it matches. I'm from hospitality. I love food. I love cooking. I absolutely love the connection that I get. I bring a bottle of red, let's sit down, let's cook together, and let's, or even let's get a box of pizza and sit on the carpet and just be mates for a while. I love that. And that that will continue for the rest of my life. I'm sorry, days in recovery, it ain't going to stop. Because I'm a social being. The way I recover is connection. I have to be connected. Yep. Um, Sex, methamphetamine, um, happy to report. <laughs> God, I hope, I hope if this thing ends up being a relationship and this bloke ends up looking back, I'm actually going on a date in three, three nights' times. I've never been on a date wow. as a bloke. I'm 39, you know, um, and I knew that I needed to step away from this thing. I'm going, I'm going to dinner um, wow. on Friday night. <laughs> um, and that, that, for me, I've spoken to my, my family and my nearest and dearest, and everyone's like, Everyone forgets. And my father, you know, almost with tears running down his eyes, he just said, Dave, everyone in their, in their world, in their existence is entitled to that feeling, that concept of courting, that concept of, and people just think that I've, because I've sort of, I'm such a sort of good bloke and I'm happy and go lucky. People think that, that I'm okay. When you explain to them that I've never been on a date, I've never, ever, ever had a healthy relationship with that, Oh, I'm interested in good-looking guys. There's a guy. I want to go and have dinner and maybe end up, you know, going back and having a really healthy, healthy, intimate sexual mm. engagement. So that's all going to potentially. I don't, hopefully don't, we don't go rushing to sex, but I'm going to dinner on Friday night with a guy. So, and yes, I'll have a couple of glasses of wine. And yes, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to go running from, you know, the, the dots don't join there. It's like push him out of the way. He's got me a bit excited. Go find meth and have sex for two days. Mm. Not, I'm not worried about that at the moment. So, so, you've no really, yeah. so you've really changed your relationship to substances rather than just eliminating them. If I don't think rehabs are about stopping people taking drugs. Yeah, I, I just don't. I, I, I need I'm so to glad that you time. said that. <laughs> I, well, I, you know, because it's not. That's not how it works. That's not how life works. You know, mm. making people lose weight isn't about. This is the problem. You know, we've got this. And again, I'm sorry for the fitness industry. I'm sorry for the nutrition industry. But you go to a cert three in in lifting weights. You ain't going to help people lose weight. You don't know. What yep. we need is we need people who can connect to people. Yep. You've got to get in their world. You've got to find out why they have a chronic problem with why they're, you know, a lot of people are comfort eating. A lot of people have suffered trauma. A lot of people are struggling with relationships. Going and putting them through eight weeks at F22, whatever you want to call it. And I know the black that owns it, but I'm just having a bit of joke there. You know, through an eight-week program of pumping them up, they're going to put the weight back on in three weeks' time. It never works. It never works. You take the before and after photo, you haven't dealt with why they want to lose weight. You haven't dealt with why they've got poor body image and stuff like that. Throw a person through a 21-week program, um, like I went through at South Pacific, it's a really, really nice, let's go in the dungeon, let's go down to the basement, turn the light on, let's have a look around those dark spaces. Yeah empower you to go and get back upstairs, go back down every now into that basement and turn the whole light on and get better therapy and whatever. That's, it, that's a great thing. It, it is a good facility. I, I get, there's a lot of people that have been in long-term recovery facilities like, mate, no, it's never going to work. 21 days ain't going to work. Well, I'll tell you what, in the world we're living at the moment, it's better than nothing because the stigmatization, the stereotype of substance abuse, the chronic pain, the, the, the energy in the world at the moment is, is, a, is 
for anyone that understands energy and stuff like that, and I'm, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to it, we're in, we're in, we're in a lot of shit in the world right now, uh, and it ain't going to get a lot better. COVID is really, really, really. We're not even at the crest of the wave of the problems of mental health that this thing's creating. So, um, I'm severe. I'm seriously concerned for our um, mental health professionals here in Australia and the world because they ain't going to keep up. They ain't going to keep up. Suicide, I'm a lifeline crisis supporter, something I'm very proud of. I get the statistics every month from our um, our telephone room here in Canberra. The numbers are just escalating and escalating and escalating from um, the amount of calls to the amount of times we need to activate emergency services. All of those numbers are going up. Yeah. Um, the way people are drinking, you know, I'm an ambassador, so not an ambassador, I'm having a chat to a particular, um, talking about it, being an ambassador for an initiative here in Canberra around um, how drinking relate, uh, drinking habits have changed during COVID with bottle shop purchases and oh, stuff like that. So we're in trouble. We're absolutely in trouble. And I'm, I'm happy to sit here and say it. We've got, the only way out of this is to, is to, is to understand that the, the world, you know, we've got a, a, a bloke leading the world, you know, at the moment who's a goose um, and politics is, is, is tough. Um, the way that we um, engage with each other and the way that we, we talk about left, right, liberal, labor, whatever it is. We, we don't engage anymore in a healthy way. It's, I don't agree with you, so I hate you. Mm. Um, we're, 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 in, we're in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. And um, the only way to do it, read, read to, to the future, Jack, is what you're doing. We need therapeutic communities. I'm, I'm about to commit to diploma counselling. Um, I'm one in. I want shelter to the wheel. Um, this is my career. This is my calling. You know, and I need to be use my lived experience and my ability to, my communication skills, as you can hear, to, to help people because... We need a ground. We need a grassroots groundswell um, program. We've got to change the way that we treat people. A hundred percent. And I think you should definitely follow that because you are very, very good at describing it and talking about it all. So it's. Thanks. And I'm. I'm glad that you said. You know. Um, <laughs> you know, going to rehab is is not about. Um, you know, getting off drugs. And no. it's funny for people listening. You know, we we haven't you know, this is called Real Drug Talk. We talk about alcohol and drug addictions, but we haven't really been talking about alcohol and drugs. We've been talking about trauma. We've been talking about, you know, um, sexual um, masculinity, you know, and masculinity, like all this different yep. stuff. And yep. that's what it is for people. And that's what, if you're listening to this show, you've got to go beyond the, the drugs and alcohol and think about what's causing them. And it's funny what you said as well about the fitness. We've got one of my mates, Craig Harper, coming on on Friday, who is massive in the fitness space, he mm. was like one of the first people in Australia to open a personal training stu personal training studio, mm. and uh, he always talks about you know if you want to help someone to change their body, forget about the gym, like work on their mind first, you know, um, 100%, and, and talk 100%. about that side of it. So it's yeah, psychology should be part of that. Whatever you're doing, search mm. for it. Should the first six months should be being able to talk to people. Yeah, not not you're a gym junkie and you got good looking calves, so you want to work in a gym. It ain't gonna work. It ain't gonna work. <laughs> um, Simple as that. So so, there's a couple of other things I wanted to ask you about. Like for the abstinence part, I, I think it's really interesting because I've had such a journey with this as well, and I'm only just starting to talk about it now. And I think it's amazing how you're able to recognise it and flesh it out and talk about it as well. Um, but, you know, I went through a rehab that was similar, you know, that was that was awesome, but kind of went through this framework of the 12 steps and, um, you know, the disease model and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, and it's been this whole journey of just 
focusing on the good bits and the bits that really do help and sort of leaving the rest behind. Um, what, like, what do you think it is about that? You know, like, like you said, I think that's a great point. You tell somebody not to do something, there's, there's such a likelihood that they're going to go and do it. And it's the reason why we're having so many troubles here with lockdown and all that stuff just from a COVID sense is because we're telling people that you can't do this stay at home you know and as a as a result they revolt you know they do the opposite yep. so yep. do you think do you think um drug and alcohol is and this is kind of a leading question but do you think it's mm. about your belief systems and the things that you tell yourself and then they become cemented in your actions and how it plays out and inevitably forms your relationship with drugs and alcohol i made I, you, look you know this is the thing I, I believe in anything. I've coached rugby at a fairly decent level. Sorry for the sport analogies for those who are not involved in sport. Think about learning the piano. Um, think about whatever. I, I, and I can't talk for you, but I know for my sport of rugby union, which can be complicated in some sense. It's a continuous mm. sport. There's lots going on when you're playing rugby union. Um, I've never heard anyone say to me, um, and I, 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 I'll, I'll be a bit critical of some of the coaching education stuff I went through early on in my thing. I don't, really, I don't think it was done very well, but I know it's being done very well now. I've never heard anyone say, let's complicate this more, you know, and <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's everything that works well. They always come back and say, what we did was we stripped it back and it was simplistic. So the point I'm trying to make is that that concept of your product of your environment um, and I think, I think we have um, Australia and the Australian culture, and I understand because I served, I'm old enough now to be able to say that I served a lot of those diggers that used to come in. To, I was a West the Sports Bar guy. Yeah. Um, I, I understand our relationship with alcohol. It's like talking about when your parents did the best that they could back in the day. I understand it. I, can, I get it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and bang that drum that everyone should have never drunk ever before. Mm. stupid the reality of the situation is completely different what we've never had in this country apart from you know again i'm looking at the politics of it but you know let's just say very nice little fobby off this will cover our asses mm. we'll put a bit of money into drink wise or so, you know one of these things to just sort of you know we'll put the pregnancy label on the back of a beer bottle and they don't give a shit you know these companies they don't care as long as they're pushing them and again i don't care the alcohol industry is an amazing industry the hospitality industry an amazing industry but we've never had a proper alternate conversation in australia we've never had an honest look at our relationship with alcohol with substances I, I, through my hospitality career, are constantly making new groups of younger friends. And I have some very good friends now, the early 20s that are close to me that I call some of them my best friends. And I, they're still, you know, music festivals, pingers in whatever orifice they can stick them into, um, <laughs> three-day benders. This, Jack, this is, we've got to be real. If this is real drug talk, this is what's going on. That's right. These kids cannot get enough piss. They cannot get enough piss in their gullet. They, the only thing, that is going to, 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 to build their self-esteem from a lot of them in their social circles is just how fucked up they get. Mm. And the best stories, the, 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 the stories that they'll lead with during the week, that story is who was the most fucked up? Yeah. Who was the most person that, who pissed themselves? Who had sex with someone that they didn't know? Who woke up with shit in their bed? All this sort of stuff, that to these, this, it, it's still normal. Yeah. It's, it, it, this, this is still going on. Uh, I have four nieces and nephews and uh, my oldest, my goddaughter um, in Sydney is getting right getting to that age now where and we have had some beautiful conversations about her um, 
those birthdays that are coming up where they're underage, but drink might be involved. And she's just like, I don't want it. I don't want it there. You know, so we have a generation of kids coming through, but I tell you the kids at the moment that have come through 18, 19, 20, mid twenties at the moment, they're still dealing with the residual mess that is, that is, that is being left through what should have been in modern society, nineties, two thousands, we should have been a lot better, but we still, and again, I've got no interest in telling adults not to drink. I've got no interest in telling people not to take drugs because that doesn't work. Mm. What we need to build now is a therapeutic society. It's a society that goes, mate, is that really working for you? Mm. You know, you, the last six weeks, you know, this ain't funny anymore, mate. You've lost mm. one job. Uh, you're not talking about rehab. You've had risky sex. You've ruined a couple of girls along the way. You're ruining yourself. Yeah. You might be a good looking young bloke and you think you're killing it, but, this ain't cool yeah. and I'll, I'll show you where these these dots start to join up in the next five or six years and the problem is that they're going to join up mm. because we don't have anything happening at this end we actually don't have we've got some great uh, people like paul dylan with data um yeah. i know d-a-r-t-a he's brilliant you know going through schools we've finally got people talking to parents and talking to kids and then teaching kids and parents how to talk together mm. about their relationship with alcohol and substances so I don't spend a lot of time in schools at the moment. I know Paul's the leader in Australia, um, but that's the, that's the world that I'd love to get back into as well. And again, it's not about it's not about telling a kid at seventeen have a stubby of beer, you know, whatever, because unless things change in forty years' time and beer's just seen as you know you don't do it, we're not in that world at the moment. No. But we need an alternate conversation. So, product of your environment, you come from a big drinking family country, city, whatever, you, you know, you, you play a bit of sport, you play the major winter sports who have a chronically, um, um, it's so chronically, a, a poor relationship with alcohol still, you know, um, you're going to be, you, you, there's a very, very good chance, mate, you're going to be a, a piss drinking idiot for a while in your life and you're going to do stupid things. So that's, 100%. that's where we're at. Yeah. That's 100%. where we're at. Um, so a couple of last questions. You mentioned uh, that, you know, on the directorate that you take care of, of, of Lifeline and, you know, the calls are going up and the, mm. the mental health impacts and, you know, all this stuff and the raise, yep. the raise consumption in booze. Yep. Um, like, what do we need to do different? Because I, I would say, you know, don't get me wrong, it's never perfect, but all this stuff is going up. And I would say that the government is actually starting to tip a lot more money into mental health. You know, never, well, they have to, mate. They have that's to. That's right. Because, never, never the right yeah. amount, but they're yeah. tipping yeah. more and more money into it, which is, which is amazing, right? Um, and kudos, absolutely, kudos to yeah, them absolutely. for finally doing it. But, um, yeah, things only are still getting worse. You know, so what, so what, what mate, needs to change? Yeah. Well, what what is about us? What is it about us that wants to work five days a week? You know, what is it about us that every Every day I see a, a, a mummy post about it's time for mummy to take a medicine, you know, the mm. bottle of wine that has the cup connected to the top. Mummy's having, you know, mummy's end of mummy's day or w w what is it about? What is it about? So we need to change the human condition. Yeah. What, what is it about? It's Friday. Fucking yeah. Like, mm. you know, I'm going to go and blow. I earn $800 a week. I'm going to go and spend $300 of that this weekend in moving in, in in having a mind-altering substance so yeah. what was going on in my life from monday to friday it ain't doing it for me so yeah. i want to spend almost a third of my 
wages this weekend on changing my life. Mm. Now, that's not just what's going on. It may be that's at the extreme end, um, but there's a lot of Australians that are doing that. Let's be honest. <laughs> so we need to to get in. We need to get into. To, to, we need to get into this world and go. Why? Why not a bushwalk? Uh, why not? Why not? You know, go to the park. Why not? be present at your son's rugby match this Friday night. But, you know, that rugby club that I went to in Sydney, the parents were a disgrace. Mm. You know, these are these kids out there at 11, 12, 13 years old. These are the most amazing moments of your, these are the, this sporting endeavour is an amazing thing. Uh, you know, six bottles of wine and the parents are being wankers up on the deck. They don't care about their kids. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I used to sit there saying, I'm gay going, oh, I could not, you know, if I was, if I had a kid playing rugby, you know, and that still may happen in my life. I would be there. I would be taking photos. I would mm. be supporting the coach. I would be, that's just me, you know, but mm. to have even, to, to, that's how chronic it got. I used to look at these parents and go, that's how bad it is. We've got parents on sidelines blowing mm. up that they can't get on the piss while the kids are playing sport, mm. you know? So we've got to change that. Mm. We've got to change this whole, you know, w w what are we doing, you know, and, and what sort of society have we created that just yeah. wants to, wants to not be present. Mm. Um, and that's not just what this alcohol is about. Going and having a beautiful meal at a beautiful restaurant with beautiful friends. And yes, you might have a little bit too much to drink. I get it. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's, you become salubrious. It's your inhibitions drop a little bit. You yeah. never would have talked to that woman. I get it. And that's cool as well. So I'm not, I, please don't think that I'm some sort of teetotaling wanker that thinks that, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I want to be a real man's drug talking when I become, I want to be able to walk into it, and I think I can talk into most environments. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, just lost you. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I want to be able to work in all of those different scenes and and be real and be real. So, but we've got to be real about society at the moment, and I think that's what's causing the issue. Yeah, one hundred percent. No, it's 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 so interesting. And the last question I wanted to ask you because we're uh, AFL people down in this top center of the world, and. Uh, you know, you're you're a rugby person. So, is um, sure. is the that you know that culture of drinking and masculinity and things like that is it starting to shift in in that world from your perspective? Uh, at amateur level, um, in my sport at rugby union, absolutely not. And I've just worked I've just worked within a program <laughs> within a big not for profit in Australia where they're trying to change those habits. And I'll tell you most. My sport of rugby union, um, um, I can't, I won't break confidentiality because I'm no longer employed by that. But I tell you what, uh, my sport of rugby union, Rugby Australia, um, has got a lot to answer for because they're doing bugger all, bugger yeah. all for, um, for changing the drinking habits of amateur sports clubs, amateur rugby union clubs in Australia. They're doing almost nothing, uh, and it's and and I'm really really ashamed about Rugby Australia that they do that. That they're not doing anything more. Uh, some of the other sports, NRL has a much more proactive approach. AFL, I'm not aware of what they're doing down there, but um, but yeah, I can tell you from my personal experience, not good. Rugby mm. Union has a long way to go. Well, it's hard. It's yeah. hard with these. It's hard with these initiatives because the thing that people don't understand is that. Um, there's a difference between, you know, someone's personal journey um, and then also setting up like public health in initiatives for a vast population of people. Sure. There's sure. a different approach. Sure. And I think people struggle with it. And, you know, in some of the codes that I see, it's, uh, it's frustrating because it's kind of, 
like I, I get it because we're in a commercial environment and that's what drives things and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So mm. on one hand, they'll be trying to push kind of mental health stuff and that's great. And, they, and I really think that a lot of codes are doing great to try and shift things. But then in the very next breath, you know, 95% of their advertising is alcohol industry, you know, so, and it's just plastered everywhere or, or it's gambling or whatever it is. Yep. That's where the bucks are. So yep. it's... Yep. But that 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 that's changing, mate. And I tell you, there's a lot mm. of parents now, and it is shifting because there's a lot of if 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 we're and this is the first thing. There's a hook. There's a way that we learn to talk to 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 help um help seekers on the phones with Lifeline. We try and find that what 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 went what's gone missing in their life. What what there's a there's a there's a point where you can go look at. Just go back and talk about that. And I get lots of callers, a lot of male callers, um, who'll be like, I just stopped playing sport, you know, or I learned how to yeah. drink. Or I learned all my drug taking was 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 with that sport or those particular guys so um if we if, if connection is what drives a healthy society yeah then we need to find ways to keep people connected and by throwing them in yeah okay 70 or 80 percent of those participants in those amateur sports clubs they'll do a little bit of damage they'll go from juniors through cults in a grade um they'll get chewed up and spat out and probably have some regretful moments. There is a good 20, 25% of that market though, that, that environment, that washing machine of throw them in and the spin cycle of the get cocaine in you now and stuff like that. They come out, they don't come that. Some of them die. Some of them um, end up in a really bad way chronically with, with bad problems. So I think we've got a responsibility. If you want to run a sport in Australia, if you want to, if you want to accept the sponsorship dollars, if you want to have these participants, then you have a duty, an absolute duty and um, uh, a, a code of conduct to care for those participants and saying, you know, having licensed premises beyond, beside the fields and all those sorts of things, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're, if, if you're going to create those environments where people are having problems, you've got to take responsibility for it. And I'll tell you that most of the sports aren't doing it, aren't doing it. It's not just about we'll provide the balls and the referees in the ground. That's not good enough. You know, it goes beyond that. And that's the problem with society because everyone thinks, oh, that's not it. We, we together. This is where the groundswell of, well, that's not acceptable anymore. Yeah. That's what we need to get to where a club president stands up and goes, guys, we're not going to do the boat race for a year. We're just going to give it a break. Yeah. Why? Because we just, we just, you know, I can't know it's, you know, we've done it for a hundred years, but we might just give it a bit of a break. We don't need to see everyone smashing beers down their throat at five <laughs> o'clock at night after first grade in front of all the kids, in front yeah. of all the parents. It ain't a good look. Yeah. You know, or we're going to do it. What we're going to do is we'll do it straight after the game in the change room away from the, you know, do something, harm minimize, you know, show, Mm. show society that you want to have a better relationship with with alcohol and drugs and those sorts of things and those small turning the volume switch down nine eight seven that's the that's the journey that i'd like to help people take um is is how can i hum minimize how can i make a conscientious better decision in my life running my sports club running my life personally or whatever how do we start to get better uh than, than what i was yesterday yeah hundred percent. Mate, I love it. I love the passion that you have and I love the way that you're able to articulate the, the tough stuff um, and Thanks, take mate. everyone through the journey. So I always like to give people the opportunity. What would you, what would your parting message be? I know it's really cliche, but people really yep. listen to it. You know, if they've connected with you, what, like, what would you say to anyone that's just in the position where they yeah, want to start making some changes? What can they do? Be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Be vulnerable. Jump off the, don't, you know, we always remember we were kids at the swimming pool, the one meter, get up on the 10 meter diving board and jump off. Yeah, love it. Go and grab someone, look them in the eyes and say, I need help. And you watch the magic happen. 
Yeah, if you need to do it anonymously, call Lifeline. Go to an anonymous group. And it's not anonymous. You know, I don't ever know why they call it anonymous anymore. You can walk into any room, you know anyone. Call someone, call a best friend, tell them what's going on for you and open up. Tell them to, because you may think that people may know and understand there's a lot. Everyone's got their own shit going on. Mm. And you think, oh, I'm not going to say it because they know or whatever. They probably don't, yep. you know. Yep. Do it in a car. With, if you're a bloke, go for a drive, both looking forward. Mm. So you don't have to look at, I know blokes can't look at each other in the eyes. Jump it, jump, put him in the passenger seat, your best mate, and say, mate, I'm struggling with this depression, yeah. whatever, whatever it is for you. Start talking, be vulnerable, and watch the magic happen. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Love it. Hey, that was, that was great. We're going to have you back um, to ah. get the iteration of the journey and see where everything's <laughs> cool. at. Cool. I'm not Thanks, sure. Are you, are you just chilling at the moment? Do you have a thing that anyone? I'm going to study. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to sign up for 12 months. It's 12 months online learning this course, so diploma counselling. So I'll just be um, backfilling with some work to Beautiful. maintain myself and just doing the right thing and my recovery and work and study. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed the conversation. We'll see you next time. Thanks again, Dave. Love it. Thanks, mate. Cheers.